Hi guys, welcome back to Uncut Hawaii, the podcast where we get to talk to Hawaii's most interesting and innovative creators, entrepreneurs, and change makers. I'm Kobe. And I'm Andrew. And this is the last episode of season three. Crazy. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a season of change. Lots of changes this season. Um, what would you think, Kobe? It was crazy. I feel like it was long. Normally, I feel like we like just breeze through seasons like super fast but then this one we started back in january with Mm -hmm. mckenna on a manifesting episode we had amazing people on like jasper um kimo kennedy we had luke shepherson we had kailana i mean so many great conversations we had and also just like a big growth time for us for sure yeah i mean and and we, we took a, a big break to kind of like figure things out. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ups and downs. Like, I mean, like, I, I think a lot of you guys get to hear and see like the, the front end of everything. But yeah, the back end, it was starting to get tough timing and everything. Kobe flying over every time. and But yeah, after manifesting and figuring it out and really like working at it, uh, we were able to lock in a presenting sponsor. So that was a big yeah, first change for us. Yeah, yeah, so Uncut presented by Central Pacific Bank. That was huge for us. That was a huge change. And so um, you notice halfway through uh, our, our episodes, we actually changed to a new location. So we started recording at the Tide Pools at CPB. So that was one big change, yeah. figuring out how to move all this equipment and set up in a new place. And yeah, yeah it was it was awesome. And then for our last episode, we tested out our going into season four, which is going to be Uncut on the Road. We tested it out by Andrew actually flying to Hilo, (laughs) which is nice. Yeah. Instead of Kobe flying over, I flew over with the equipment. And um, yeah, we got to set up at a very um, special place in Hilo Mm -hmm. uh, to talk to our next guest. Yeah, Sig Zing Designs. We got to talk to Kuhao Zane. And he's just such a badass. I mean, he's the creative director at Sig Zane. He's been there for the last 20 years. But he's really, like, grown up. I mean, he's a Hilo boy. Has just grown up in this rich culture and tradition with, one, his dad, Sig Zane, but also in his hula halau, um, halau okikuhi, that his grandmother started. Just legendary family in Hawaiian culture, Big Island, and it was just really interesting to pick his brain. Yeah, it's, it's, it was cool to see how, you know, his whole process on how he connects his um, past, all the culture mm-hmm. And then also tying it into the future and, you know, um, creating things that will last for generations to come. Yeah. So yeah. hope you guys enjoy this episode. Cheers. 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 Thank you for having I was going to say welcome to Uncut, but we're actually at your place. <laughs> Welcome to Kaya, the office. Thank you for welcoming us into your space and allowing us to set up to record. This is our first episode on the road. This is exciting. This is how you feel, right? Flying in every single time. I know. Normally I fly in, Andrew picks me up, and then we go, and I'm like, wow, it's kind of nice. I just have to drive over. The roles reverse. Yeah. But then, yeah, we had to bring everything over. We set up, and this is our trial run for (laughs) Uncut on the Road, so we're stoked to have you as our first guest. Yeah. Thank you very much. Super honored. honored. I know you're super busy. So thank you for making time. Of course. I feel like we have like a lot of things we want to ask you and talk to you about, but how are you feeling after Murray Monarch just pal like two weeks ago, was it? A couple weeks ago? 
I think um, just as much as a preparation takes so many months to like prepare for it, I feel like those last two weeks or the, th- or the three weeks after Mary Monarch is just as much of like, okay, wait, we're so busy for that time. How do we like sew everything back together again? Because I think that it takes such an immense focus for Mary Monarch that now all the things that you weren't focusing on, no matter if that's your house or if that's maybe some of like the yard work or something that you gotta do, or even some of the emails, cause my emails is like a jungle right now. But um, yeah, no, so now it's just like trying to put everything back together again. Catch up, you know? play catch up. So what was special about this year, I mean, one of the things was that we were celebrating the 60th year of Mary mm-hmm. Monarch. Did it feel different at all? I mean, you're like really, deep in it i mean you got your perform i mean you're dancing you're planning a after party that's a bad idea (laughs) bad idea uh i definitely felt like this year everybody was on the same page to celebrate the achievement that mary monarch is yeah especially the 60th anniversary of it and i think that everybody was on that same page to be able to um almost like uh almost like celebrate the community that built Mm-hmm. Mary Monarch, and that's why mm-hmm. I feel like there are a lot of tributes that were happening, especially mm-hmm. to my grandma, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it definitely had that feeling that this was a big one, and this was one to be able to remember for the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. I know. I was telling he, um, I was telling Andrew when we were driving over here. I was like, you know, when I was growing up, Mary Monarch was a cool thing. I mean, it was like a tradition, you know. And I remember going as a kid, but I feel like now it's like a if you can get there, like if you can get to Hilo or if you can get a ticket, it's like, it's like the place all to my be. friends too yeah. are like from Oahu and stuff. Like, oh, can we, how do we get tickets? And like, you know, like there's this like new energy, I feel yeah. like. No, I was just explaining that to somebody that when I was a kid and I was going to Mary Monarch, or maybe I was just younger at the time. Yeah. And maybe now I'm just as old as everybody that's enjoying it. Maybe that's what it is. Uh-huh. I take it back. But no, I swear there's a lot more of a youthful energy that's happening. And I think no matter if that's around some of the events and some of the like Olahilo that we do, mm-hmm. or even if it's around some of the entrepreneurial efforts that are happening, especially with some of the local small businesses that are happening that come down and it's almost like a gold rush yeah. during that yeah. time. Mm-hmm. And everybody's ready to spend money during that mm-hmm. time, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. So I think that the intent of having Mary Monarch be an economic builder for Hilo, it definitely fulfilled that intent. 100%. Yeah. And yeah, Kobe how did many... a good amount of shopping. Yeah. Yeah, like give yourself a budget, but you never fall no. within the budget. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, shoot. Well, this is the one chance I get where all the vendors, local vendors are here. Not yeah. even just from Hawaii Island, from like people flying in from all the islands to, to be here. We, were, we had Lexi on. Well, Lexi's from here, but she's like, Mary Monarch is like, it's like their Black Friday, you know? Yep. It's like... It's literally the whole Christmas condensed into one week. So the whole Christmas season from, mm-hmm. I don't know, like beginning of November all the way to the end of December, that two-month period all condensed into like seven days, that's six crazy. days maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're still recovering. And that's why <laughs> I'm still, I'm apologizing in every email. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I just got buried. Okay, so we're recovering still from Mary Monarch, but then you're like quickly going into your grandma's quarter came out right before was it right before mary monarch it came out i believe like a week before two weeks before Mm -hmm. so it was just recently released Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. we were working on this project for i want to say almost a year and a half now Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah an immense immense achievement as well as an honor and at the same time i think um, she definitely puts it 
she puts herself onto that platform, not necessarily only for herself, but for all Hawaiians, as well mm -hmm. as all indigenous people too. Yeah. And so I think that that's what she stood for. And hopefully that's a, that's a message that we can get across with this US quarter release. Man, what a legend. I mean, I can't even imagine growing up in, I don't want to say the shadow of your, her legacy because she's it's very a, much- a, It's a massive shadow. <laughs> <laughs> so what was that like, you know, let's rewind a little bit. Yeah. So what was like, you know, growing up in this, this this culture and like you know like you um, grew up in Kilkaha. I grew up in Kilkaha. I went to I went to, to Kilkaha Elementary mm -hmm. and then I went to Hilo High, and I I, I was a terrible student, <laughs> horrible. Um, but you know I talk about that a lot, so you don't really need to. School's not for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> All F's and one D. I don't even know how that's even possible to pull it off. Wow. Anyway, um, it was right, right around eleventh grade that I kind of like turned the switch, or maybe mm -hmm. I or maybe I grew up really quickly. Yeah. yeah. I think it's because my mom was probably threatening to give me lickens or something. But um, uh, right around that time, 11th grade, I also, too, started to enjoy dancing hula, even mm -hmm. though I've been dancing at that time for maybe about seven years at that time. I started late. I started at 10 years old. And that's oh, okay. late. That's, that's late, late in our family. Right, was there, right, was right. there like a pressure or something to dance or... There wasn't necessarily a pressure to dance. Uh, you're always around it. Like mm -hmm. my mom guys... I mean, even now we have hula every Monday, Wednesday, oh, nice. and we have the small kids class that starts at four o'clock, and that, and then our class that we actually dance in um, is at seven to eight o'clock, and so you're there for like a four-hour period, and you know when wow. you're a little kid running around, four hours is a really long time. <laughs> it's a long time for to even an adult. That, yeah. yeah, exactly, and so I think um, you're not necessarily pressured, but you're just constantly around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And my mom also believes in the idea of like subliminal learning mm -hmm. too. So if you're just around the hello and all of these chants, and these chants are like ancestral texts it's from generations back, all of these chants are just constantly surrounding you, and mm -hmm. she feels that like latent learning of being able to pick up on these things, maybe later on in life you'll be able to pull on them. And like osmosis. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> like osmosis, yeah. correct. And so uh, I was never pressured to it. Wow, ooh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I was, maybe I was. So if maybe you didn't bit. start dancing until later on, like, what were the things that you would like to do? Were, were you, like, surfing or uh, obviously not studying? <laughs> yeah, I was definitely not studying. I, you know, honestly, I don't know what I was doing. I think I was just, uh, I mean, my mom, as I said, I was always a pretty mellow kid, like, growing mm -hmm. up. And so I was just pretty entertained with whatever was in front of me. And um, I had a lot of uncles that were either artists and very creative in their own right. And so I think a lot of times whatever they put in front of me influenced me in that way. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely like to draw and I would be in the office all the time. So there always be like scraps of paper all over the place. Uh, so definitely that took up from like zero all the way up to, I don't know. Well, actually the company was started when I was three. Oh, so okay. I okay. think I think from little, zero to three. Little little shop in Hilo. <laughs> yeah. if you've never heard of Sig Zane. Yes, uh, Sig Zane, <laughs> this guy. Um, watch, he's gonna walk in. Uh, it started in 1985, but before that, he was doing craft fairs, mm -hmm. and so he would do craft fairs like at Thomas Square in Oahu, mm -hmm. um, and then finally we opened up our first shop in 1985. But I think that he opened up the shop because I was kind of growing, you know, I was three years old at the time. And I think for him, it was a little bit of a, oh, shit, like, oh, I, I don't know if I can say that. No, good, yeah. Uh, it was kind of like a little, oh, shit, I, I need to, like, really get some income so that I can support my new son, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that's when we started in 1985. But in general, leading up to the time when I started to dance hula, I mean, 
kind of typical things that everybody grows up going sleeping over at their cousin's house, going to playing down at the beach or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely started to um, bodyboard and surf a little bit later. Um, but yeah, nobody really pre- pressured. They said, no, it's up to you if you want to dance. Mm-hmm. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> All your cousins are doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go and hang out at your cousin's mm-hmm. house and you make, can, maybe you can even sleep over at their house. <laughs> Just hang out with them. Yeah. And then I'd be like, oh, you know, at the time I was like, because sleeping over at somebody's house, if you're yeah. actually allowed to do it, yeah. that, that held so much value at the oh, time. Totally. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, uh, yeah, maybe I'll just go to one class or something. And as soon as you start, it's done after that. You're, you're locked for life. So then you were kind of like dancing. And then um, at uh, 11th grade, you said, that's when you kind of started like. That's when I started to enjoy dancing. Because mm-hmm. um, before that, and Etipua has this interview. I've, I cringe every time I run into this interview. <laughs> but she, she's asked in the interview how, how she feels my dancing is. And, oh. and she said it so elegantly at the time. She was like, Kuhao, he's a very dutiful dancer. Dutiful. Yeah, dutiful dancer. And I was like, oh, that's great. It sounds like beautiful. It's awesome. I thought it was, yeah, yeah, anyway. And then I swear it was like a couple of years later that I actually looked it up. Like what dutiful meant. Doing things because you have to do it. And I was like, oh, Wow, that was like a diss. <laughs> but elegant. Yeah, it was a very elegant. And she said it so nicely in this interview. That, and I was there at the interview when she was saying it. And I was like... Smiling. <gasps> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank me. you. Uh, yeah. um, but after I started to realize that, you know, I'm not there just to take up space. And especially in hula, it's something mm-hmm. that if you do pour yourself into it, there's multitudes of benefits that you'll get back from it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that around 11th grade, of course, when I started to like focus at school a little bit more too, uh, <laughs> around 11th grade, that's when I started to take it more seriously. And then also too, that's when we started to travel. Mm-hmm. We started to go to Japan for a couple of weeks. We had this whole East Coast tour that we did, West Coast tour, Alaska, all over the place. Nice. So it's kind of crazy um, that hula took you out of Hawaii and to all these places. Yeah. And it, it was there because you would I would see so, like my when I was growing up my parents went to Tahiti for a week mm-hmm. um, they'd always take these trips all over my mom went to Guam she went to Russia so I've always heard of these stories of traveling but obviously until the opportunity showed itself for myself I, I was like oh I went in time I, I don't it's not, yeah. it's not really that cool yet yeah yeah do you get to still travel I mean so you guys don't compete so nope. you're traveling to like share educate inspire other cultures and places and people yep so is that still part of the halal today i think uh definitely slowed down with covid but Mm -hmm. there was a good amount of years leading up to uh leading up to covid i would say that was maybe uh yeah about about solid 10 years that we were going to japan almost seven times a year Oh, wow. times a year. Some, I, wow. I remember counting yeah. one year that I actually hit 14 trips to Japan in wow. one year. Wow. Yeah, and they were always usually a week. Um, and I was thinking, wow, 14 trips. That's more than one trip per month. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a lot of that were either workshops or participation in um, different uh, summer festivals. But a lot of it was just for exhibition. It was never for competition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that given my mom's position in in the larger community um, and also our lineage of hula that, I mean, I'm the fifth generation, so it goes back pretty far. Yeah. And then there's still three generations after me too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think given her position in the community, a lot of people just want her to do these educational workshops or to be able to share her chant style, her dance style, or even mm -hmm. her own thoughts on choreography. And so usually we're always like tagging along as a part of the exhibition. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, do you feel like you're part of this, like kind of blending the past and the future, I mean, now you have a son, so kind of blending like what you've learned from your mom and your aunties and your grandma and now kind of paving the way in this modern world. Ah, no. I think that's, uh, that's an awesome way to look at it. And at the same time, I think my mom, when she's in the hello, she, she talks about this constantly, especially in um, like family conversations, but she always says that in her hello, she wants to see four generations. Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah. And that means that you're ensuring at least another 50 to 100 years mm -hmm. of these practitioners. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that kind of that kind of longevity is is very valuable, especially and you don't really hear people talking about that nowadays mm -hmm. that they want to create something that they can make sure to see four generations in this practice. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you're focusing on these four generations, then you'll see all of these, somebody's busted. <laughs> Police, Popo's yeah, coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I promise it wasn't me. It wasn't live me. Live in uh, downtown Hilo. Yeah, live in downtown Hilo. <laughs> oh, they're close. It's a part of the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Part of the character of downtown Hilo. Um, yeah, so I think that in that idea of looking four generations forward, you're very aware of specific individuals that are a lot younger than you mm -hmm. that are possibly participants or people that will be willing to take on the kuleana after you're done. And so I'm seeing like so many more innovative Hawaiians as well as just practitioners in general, no matter if you're Hawaiian by blood or Hawaiian by heart, I, I'm seeing so many more innovative practitioners ahead of me and I can't wait to see what they'll do in the future too. So now I think for me, what I'm trying to do now is to kind of use my experience in in the business because I've been doing this for been doing design work for about 25 years now. Wow. And I've been at Sixteen Designs for 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm using kind of like um, my experience in the business as well as a network that I built up over the years so that I can properly build a foundation for whatever innovative ideas the next generation is going to have mm -hmm. so that this generation that's currently holding the flag or being able to hold down the fort so that this next generation will allow the next generation to have these innovative indigenous ideas mm -hmm. and have it integrate itself, no matter if it's into environmental efforts initiatives or if it's into food sustainability initiatives mm -hmm. or even if it's within educational design initiatives. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where I feel my current role is. Like, yes, I definitely feel like I'm still a little young, Totally. Just, yeah, a, just are, a little. We yes, we are. We are. That's, that's what I said. Um, I still feel like, yes, I definitely am re representing a certain youthful uh, generation. And at the same time, I have my eyes on these next generation of innovative indigenous Hawaiians out there that have these ideas that hopefully we can prepare this foundation currently so that we'll be able to support the next. Yeah. No, it's funny how you say that because I feel like for, so I'm about to turn 40. I'm 
turning 40 this year. It's but, a celebration. And no, <laughs> I'm stoked about it because actually, like, this age is pretty sweet because, like, up until this point, I, I've always felt like I'm not the one that people are looking yeah. up to or, like, not the one to teach or not the one to speak or not the one to, you know, there's, like, that other generation, like, maybe 10 years older than us yeah. that's, like, the ones who are, like, know their shit. Like, they know yeah. what <laughs> is going yeah. on and, like, they know, like, the answers. But now I'm like, wow we're actually now those people because we have people like saying asking us to speak or like our opinions on things and help asking us to teach and like wow you really like it's a mind shift once you get to that age (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, i was about to say that too because like it's it's weird how like you know in your early 30s all the way up to the 40s like it feels like you're scratching for position Mm -hmm. but then Mm -hmm. now it's just a simple transition we're like oh wait People are listening to me now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's yeah. weird. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, okay, now, now i got to work on foundation. Yeah. yeah so, uh, yeah, it's an interesting transition. Yeah. That's great to hear because I turned 30 this year. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thanks. Not Thanks. to rub that <laughs> in, but, but, you know, it's like now, now I'm entering this part of life that you guys just finished, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it's like, okay, how do, I, how, do I, how do I build that foundation and get, you know, so it's no, 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 cool I, here. So it's, I love this, you know, it's, it's yeah. and it's like, yeah, and no, I, I feel that too. And it's like, I think all these stages in life, it, it comes with age and, you know, experience and the knowledge and all that. So that's, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you're there. You're definitely like mature for your age, but like once you're in a position where you're the one that people are looking up to, or like you're speaking and you're mm-hmm. sharing and you're like thinking it's a different mind. It's a, shift in perspective because then you like really have to know like mm-hmm. who am i and like what do i stand for to be clear yeah like mm-hmm. you need to know it for yourself you know and it's like it's a cool i don't know it's kind of I, I like this stage of nice. life yeah yeah, yeah no <laughs> I, def- I like this stage of life too. Yeah, i'm excited yeah. i mean yeah it's exciting but, you can uh, be like jay-z and jay-z wrote i think he did the um like 30s the next 20 when he did that song mm-hmm. i think he wrote that when he was 39 i was like wow nice. you're really expanding <laughs> that right there it's a big gap yeah you're, you're pushing yeah. it yeah um wait so so you you've been in design for 25 years yeah how, how did you get into design like you know was that like during that 11th grade shift where you're starting to get serious with things yeah. i mean you've always were into art but then yeah. um what kind of motivated you to kind of i mean you didn't even like school so what took you to la <laughs> Um, my first, my first T-shirt. Well, actually, my first T-shirt design. This doesn't count, but uh, I think I was seven years old. It always. Counts. And it's because I was doing a bunch of sketches, and then my dad is a typical pocket, and he's trying to capitalize on his kid. <laughs> so, so he took some of my sketches and turned it into like Christmas T-shirts or oh, something nice. like that. I had really weird like Santa that's being pulled by dolphins, and then I was wow. really into okay. fishing at the time yeah. uh, when I was seven years old. I was like obsessed with uluas, and so I caught like a four. 14 pound Omilu uh-huh. at one point and that just fueled me for it still fuels wow. me today uh-huh. anyway did you have the Ulua sticker in the back of your car I I actually had my own logo with a with a petroglyph guy that caught in Ulua wow. and that was like my Kuhao logo he anyway. made his own wow. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah my dad was capitalizing anyway uh, that was the first time I came out with a t-shirt and then the next time that I came out was uh, a weird, a weird like succession of events. Basically, there was a sh- uh, opening of a rental space right down the road over here, and I wanted to open up a surf shop in high school. Mm-hmm. I was super into surfing at the time, and I was just trying to figure out how do I get myself into the business of surfing. And so, I wanted to create a surf shop that you know all my friends could come and hang out at, yeah. I don't know, <laughs> something cool like that. But um, I, 
I wanted to do it, and my dad said, okay, well, you know, maybe you have to ask, you know, for like an investor or something, or maybe you can ask your grandpa if he can give you like a little bit of money so you can get it started. Mm -hmm. And then so he said, but if you have to ask your gungung, uh, you have to put together a business plan. Nice. I'm like literally in 10th grade at the time. I'm like, business plan. I just found my left slipper. (laughs) I don't know what a business plan is. Anyway, I looked it up. I I think I I was in DECA at the time, uh, Distributive Education Clubs of America. So I asked them what a business plan was and Miss Nakamura helped me to do one. Did the whole, like, I literally did projections and everything, wow. expenses. Um, Without chat GBT. Exactly. <laughs> Without that, exactly. Yeah. I, that's so funny. I just had to do a profile write-up for somebody else. And I was like, huh, what if chat GPT <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Thank you, AI. Uh, it kind of worked. It kind of worked. Um, made my cousin a girl. Anyway. Um, so you made this business uh, proposal. Yeah, I made the business proposal. And... I went and I presented it to my grandpa, and then I, I believe I left home. So my grandpa's, my gungung's from Oahu, um, and so I presented it to him in Oahu, and I believe I came back, and then he called me, and then he got me on the phone, and like very straightforward, he's like, oh, you know, you put everything together, thank you very much for putting everything together. I took a look at it, and it's so good, but no. <laughs> I think I asked him for 10 grand. Yeah. Which, Aww. which kind of, you know, maybe is a lot. Uh-huh. Maybe it's too bad. I should have started lower yeah, or yeah, something yeah. like that. Shot for the stars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tenth grade, wow. ten grand. Wow, um, you went all the way to Oahu, presented him with the. <laughs> so what happened after that? Yeah. So when he told me no, that basically the idea was that, I, I uh, that, the opportunity of creating a surf shop kind of like crumbled. So my next step was maybe I can just make my own T-shirts or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the graphic designers that my dad was working with at the time, Punavai Rice. Uh, he just taught me how to use Corel Draw at the time, nice. way back in the day. Uh, he taught me how to use Corel Draw and kind of create just the basics for a T-shirt, mm-hmm. and I created a logo and then a brand. This is, you know, of course, before like custom ink, where you can just order things online. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I started to print my own T-shirt. So that's basically how I got into design. And I think. What it, did you call it? Uh, it was called Absolute Vision. Absolute yeah. vision. Gooch still has a t-shirt. Actually. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. And he has a sticker too from back in the day. Do you still have? Do you remember your first design? I remember my first design. I remember I had a story behind the design too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it was, it was a cool design. And I, if I may say so myself, but I sold the t-shirts in school. And nice. I, I remember I was always competing with the Musubi girl. <laughs> Entrepreneurs, and, like, yeah. Yeah. Ramona Naoni. Yeah, I remember, oh, her, I remember, I remember her name, and but she was a hustler. Just she had her musubis. whole cooler just with musubis. But if she went out and gave all musubis, you know that's less budget in your daily, um, you know whatever money you're getting from your parents. Yeah. You can't buy a T-shirt after that if yeah, you bought yeah. like four musubis. Uh-huh. And so I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta get to these people before her. Anyway, or you should have collabed with Ramona. That would have been the one musubi on a T-shirt. <laughs> Buy one, get one. Yeah. <laughs> you get an exclusive Musubi subscription you program. From, you get from the special cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, That's cool. Okay, yeah. so then in high school, you were designing these shirts and you, you were falling in love with this passion? Uh, I think... Or it started to develop into a passion? Yeah, it started to develop into a passion. I think the thing that I was addicted to is that I would have a vision in my mind and I wasn't that... I wasn't really that good at drawing mm-hmm. at all. I was pretty bad at drawing, actually. Um, but... 
I think the idea that I had a vision in my mind and this program, Corel Draw, and then Illustrator, of course, later on, was, gave me the ability to create mm -hmm. that vision in my head and be able to put that onto paper or put it onto a t-shirt. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the part that I actually got addicted to. How do you take these, these concepts and actually go through the execution all the way to fruition? Yeah, yeah. And creating, to like see creating it out something out of, out of yeah. nowhere. Yeah. It's like magic. And that's the thing that I'm still addicted to now mm. today. Like I still enjoy that no matter if it's a new company or if it's a project. Mm -hmm. yeah. nice. The creation process. Nice. nice. Okay, so you went to LA, went to college. That was a whole nother journey right there. But uh, yes, I'm, I barely made it into college. Yeah. <laughs> well, with the F's and the D's. <laughs> I know, exactly. They, they actually made me retake English, retake math, redo it. So it's almost like I just wasted my whole high school time. Anyway. Um, hey, you were hanging out from 9th to 10th grade. And I learned you, other things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 How to hustle alongside yeah. Ramona and the Musabees. <laughs> Slanging t-shirts yeah. and Musabees. Um, so... You're in LA for I, I went to LA for it's actually only two years that oh, I was okay. there. I nice. got an AA degree. It was actually I may or may not have selected it because of the length of the degree. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and plus too, you know, I'm only I'm only child and my mom was uh, definitely missing me at the uh -huh. time. Um, but I think I think when I went to LA, uh, I had a couple teachers over there that really impacted me. Um, Wojovitz was one of my teachers, and he was my typography teacher. Mm. And he kind of gave me the idea that you can express emotion or you can express creative thoughts and concepts just in type. Mm. And so I think that a lot of those kind of teachers that impacted me at the time, they, they were the ones that like really ignited this love for design mm -hmm. and this love for how design can be an avenue for creative thought. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that, and also discipline too. Um, Gardos was one of my teachers in, in LA too, as a fashion institute of design and merchandising. Mm -hmm. But Gardos, I remember, I remember distinctly one time um, I walked into class and we had to present every morning. It was mm -hmm. only a three-minute presentation, but everybody had to present their homework every morning. And that one, you get like those reps in of just being able to yep. like present what, I mean, maybe you just made up your homework, but you need yeah. to figure out something to present. To yeah, and yeah. this guy, this guy was like a stickler about it. Anyway, he was also a stickler about presentation. And so you'd have to put it onto, you know, you'd have to like stick your piece of paper onto a blackboard and then you'd be able to like present it like that. Mm. He would take your piece of paper and if you didn't glue the edges, he would like <laughs> blow the corner. With that. <laughs> blow the corner. And if it peeled up, he would just hand it back to you and you knew that you had to just go home. And do it again. Wow. And you can present it at the next one. Anyway, long story short, I think LA was discipline. Cur curating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. curating some of the creative um, thoughts and ideas that I had, but being able to build it into like a rigor and discipline that definitely helped my execution. And nice. also probably gave you your own individual. I mean, I can imagine like growing up as a shop kid at Sig Zane and the influence that you had. Did you feel like, well, this is the only way to do design ever? Or, you know, like, I would think that this would give you a different perspective on design. Yeah, from did, like, being away from with? home for, like, two years, like, did yeah. that, like, kind of, like, change your perspective, kind of give you a new perspective? When the stadium home? is named after your grandma, <laughs> and every one of your elementary teachers is wearing a Sig Zane. <laughs> In, in this small world of Hilo, I literally felt like everybody knew who I was and mm -hmm. everybody had their eyes on me, making sure that I wouldn't make any wrong move. So mm -hmm. when I went to L.A., I was mm -hmm. like, freedom, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever I want. Um, 
No, it was it definitely like to your point. It definitely helped me explore other avenues of creativity and see mm-hmm. how other people are able to take their design discipline further. And so I think that that was a huge that was a huge growing moment for me. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you notice driving driving here, you don't see any billboards, mm-hmm. you know, because we have a billboard law. Yep. Um, and I think that typography is uh, it's almost like a skill set like it's a muscle that you have to work with typography constantly and I think in LA you're exposed to so much more design Mm -hmm. you know on a day-to-day basis Mm -hmm. over here definitely beautiful environment Mm -hmm. most unique paradise that you can find but in LA you actually get that opportunity to exercise your graphic design Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. I think that's another point that they Mm -hmm. definitely helped with Mm -hmm. yeah you're just like visually surrounded by like everywhere you look it's like and no matter stores you know whatever stores we went to or got kicked out of (laughs) (laughs) that's another another episode (laughs) (laughs) a few drinks in Um, so what brought you home? I mean, so was the plan always to move back? And did you did you have a plan when you were going up there that you would eventually come back? I wanted to stay there as long as possible. <laughs> I think I enjoyed the freedom a little too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I, bet, I, yeah. I definitely wanted to stay there. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I, I, I think I enjoyed being able to work for some of the brands up there, no matter mm-hmm. if it was an internship, um, and see how they do it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, my dad straight called me and he said, are you going to pay for your college? And I was like, <laughs> no. Oh, well, I am a little bit. And he's like, are you going to pay for all of it? I was like, well, you're paying for something. He's like, yeah, that's right. So you're coming home. I was like, oh, okay. okay. I mean, uh, he could have made another presentation and presented it to Gung Gung again. <laughs> yeah. He would have been like, oh, you know what? Double no. <laughs> that was great, but no. Come home. <laughs> so, oh, okay. That's so how I ended up at home. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So you came back home and then uh, started designing um, it's Zane right away or uh, weirdly enough that's what I thought was going to happen uh-huh. and I came back home and my dad was like oh perfect that's so I'm so glad that you uh, learned all of this graphic design so I'd like you to start on the floor uh, just working retail <laughs> and I was like <laughs> I just went to school for two years <laughs> I don't know what are you talking about uh, so I, I ended up working working the retail in the front and mm-hmm. then also working in the back of house for the first two years that I was back. Mm-hmm. Um, I might have been even more because I slowly made my way back up to design. Um, and even when I started doing design, he put me on hourly for design too. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, you can just do a couple hours here and then, boom, and then go back downstairs. But I think those, those times were so essential because in those conversations with a lot of customers at the mm-hmm. time, you get to understand the psyche of each of these customers mm-hmm. and what they feel is important. And at the same time, you can understand back of house of how you can curate the right experience for each of these customers too. Mm-hmm. And so it was definitely essential at the time. But one of the biggest takeaways from that in hindsight of course is that the i was so hyped up about design after coming back from la and my dad didn't let me do design Mm -hmm. you know and so i all day i had to like just work in the shop but i still wanted to design and so i built this habit of going home after dinner i would just start designing from nine to twelve wow and i enjoyed it so much that i started making my own t-shirts sometimes i'd design stuff for my dad or something like that or i'd do projects for like some companies but i started to just design from 9 to 12 and so weirdly enough i would work throughout the whole day come home then design from 9 to 12 and that built in this habit to even today obviously i'm a lot more busy especially with my son um 
but now even today from 10 to 12, I'm still working in a 10 to 12. So I think it built in this just like kind of like this idea of grinding at another time of the night uh -huh. too. And I think a lot of people have that same type of yep. grind in yeah. them too. But I think my dad definitely like solidified that. That's so good. Have you had a conversation with your dad where like he, he was like, I did that on purpose or like, did you, did you ever talk to him about that at all? Or? I don't think I actually ever talked to him about that, but I think my dad definitely makes a lot of decisions based off of his, his no or, you know, from, mm -hmm. um, from his gut. And I think that that's something probably I learned the most from him because his belief in it is that if you, if you can properly channel your, your no or properly channel your gut, mm -hmm. then you're not the only one making this decision. It's the generations mm -hmm. of people that came before you making this decision. Mm -hmm. And I think that with, with that model, maybe that's what made him decide, you know what? Minimum wage, downstairs, <laughs> talking to customers. You know what? That's generations of my pocket is telling me that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Hey, yeah. but, I mean, it, it was a very valuable time for mm -hmm. you. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was definitely yeah. valuable. In hindsight. <laughs> In hindsight. At the time, it was terrible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then, so then eventually you did become the, de like, you know, you started designing for Sig Zane and then... Yep. Uh, eventually, I actually made it upstairs at a certain point, and I worked with Punavai, who mm -hmm. was the person that taught me all of the design programs. And so, in my time that I was working with him, um, he, yeah, in my time that I was working with him, he was basically showing me the ropes of what he did for fabric repeats. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, when you look at a fabric, re actually, any of these, I don't have any yellow shirts hanging up right now. But our typical fabric um, screen is about 45 inches wide, or the width of the fabric, and the height of it is about 24 inches tall, mm -hmm. and it repeats itself on the fabric. Mm -hmm. Typical screen printing yeah. style, mm -hmm. which it, we're still hand-printed, literally in Kalihio, in Oahu, mm -hmm. on Oahu. And that style of design is kind of unique because the repeat is so large, and so mm -hmm. he had to teach me how to do these uh, textile repeats. Mm -hmm. And so that was probably one of the most integral ones. So I think at the very core, Typography is definitely a part of my design, mm -hmm. but I have a strong appreciation for fabric textile prints mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. I know we had like Jenna Lam on and she gave us like a little one-on-one on like textiles and like those big screens yeah. and like... No, John is definitely one of them. I remember yeah. when she first started to come out with products, I was like, oh, wow. Because if I'm not mistaken, John, you can, you can correct me. But she was working at one of our, um, one of our events that we had um, mm -hmm. at the, I think it was with, um, it was called Travel Rights. But it was a pop-up that we had at the, it's not coming to me. It's where Nobu is in Waikiki. Mm -hmm. I think it's a different name, the hotel now, but we had a pop-up over there and we had a few people that we were kind of collaborating with and mm -hmm. volunteering with. And she was definitely working at, working at that one. And then when I saw her products come out, I was like, oh, that's awesome that she's actually being able to fulfill some of these ideas that she had. Mm -hmm. And now to see how successful she is, she's yeah. killing it. She's killing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Um, okay. So you come back to... to work at Sig Zane, and then you work your way up. And so today, you're the creative director. And so do you still get to do design? Like, and, and also, like, how has design changed over the last 30-something years? years? Yeah. 30-something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you were three when Sig Zane was? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so 30-something yep. years. Um, has it changed a lot over the years, the design? I feel, well, okay, so I'll use the Hawaiian Electric logo as an example. Uh, when we did the Hawaiian Electric logo, 
um, at the time there was a logo that they had, but mm-hmm. it wasn't prominent. Like they weren't really using it. They called it like the burger logo or something because <laughs> it, yeah, if you, stack, if you yeah. go look it up, it was mm-hmm. like a stack of how they had it. And at the time, not a lot of people were proud of it within the company. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really have like a narrative that touched anyone. So it was, you know, it was irrelevant. They didn't really mm-hmm. use it. But then when we came in, we brought our framework of design and we brought our hand cut artwork and we brought all of these um, kind of like items to the table to do the redesign. So when the design came out, it wasn't even compared to that back to the other logo, you know, mm-hmm. it was just kind of like a new step. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that that new step only happens because design was so young in Hawaii mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. And yeah. in the same way with Sixteen Designs, there were so many innovative steps to be made at the time because there were literally, if you're calling out like Alfred Shaheen and some of the other classic designers at that time, mm-hmm. um, they made big leaps and bounds and steps during their time when they were the fashion designers of that mm-hmm. era. Mm-hmm. And then the personal computer happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think with the personal computer, with the apps, I mean, with the programs, programs at the time, apps now, but mm-hmm. with the programs <laughs> at the time, they had to mature too. So I think that from that early 90s all the way through to the 2000s, I think that was kind of like the era when these programs like Illustrator really started to like expand itself. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever take the credit that it was just our initiative that we kind of like expanded graphic design but i think also too the technology allowed for the graphic design to expand Mm -hmm. and so yes to answer your question i feel like it changed a lot Mm -hmm. and like one of the things i'm definitely proud of is uh, being able to put the put together one of our first typography aloha shirts just Mm -hmm. just typography no not even my dad's handwriting it was it was literally just typography and that was in 2000 i want to say 2003 or 2004 that we did that Mm -hmm. and then there's a few other like linear type of um linear type of prints that we created Mm -hmm. that i definitely feel was the start of a whole genre of -hmm. textile too Mm -hmm. And then even the combination of Ohe Kapala, which is the bamboo stamp, mm-hmm. um, the combination of Ohe Kapala on Aloha Wear, mm-hmm. that definitely has built into a, literally multiple businesses are, are doing that too mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. And so I don't think we're def- I don't think we're the original of this, but I definitely think we brought some items to light mm-hmm. and maybe from there it expanded. So yeah, yeah it's changed a lot. Do you think that comes from, like, you know, your, your hula background, like, of all, like, the chants and the stories and just having, like, purpose behind everything, you know? I think that came from my dad. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. both my dad and my mom felt that that was important when they started Sig Zane Designs. Because at the time when Sig Zane Designs first was just kind of, like, coming to fruition, uh, I don't think any of the Aloha shirts had native artwork on it. Mm-hmm. Or native plants. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and my dad told me that they were going to a party in, they were going to a party in Kaneohe and they were trying to go buy an Aloha shirt for this party. And my dad, since he was learning hula at the time, he, you know, he learned about um, Ohia, he learned about Maile, he learned about Ie'ie, he learned about all these plants. But then when he went to the store, I think it was Liberty House or something. <laughs> Liberty House, wow. <laughs> you remember that one? Andrew does not remember that. <laughs> I'm so bummed that they disappeared. That was like, 
one of the best examples that we had as like our own like department store. Yeah. My mom had some bags in the closet. Though. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is this Liberty House? <laughs> that sounds like a separate. That sounds like a separate um, podcast yeah. theme right there. Bags in the closet. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Bags in the closet. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my um, mom still has bags from Liberty <laughs> Liberty House saved yeah. up. Um, so yeah, he went to Liberty House to go buy him a law shirt and he realized that there was no company out there that was actually putting out native plants on their shirts. And so that was kind of like the start of Sigzine Designs. And then I guess if you want the more romantic story of Sigzine Designs, basically when my dad was trying to like court my mom in the halal, he was dancing in the halal at the time. Oh, he, was a, mom, he was dancing in yeah, the halal. He was, he was he, dancing oh, okay. in the halal. He started in the 70s. But before they actually got together, he was already dancing because my grandma, Edith, on my mom's side, uh, told him to come and dance. Why don't you come and learn at the college? And then he ended up dancing for the halal a little bit later. And so in the time that he was courting my mom, he was, um, he was enjoying himself surfing and fishing and just kind of cruising all on this island being a hippie um but in that time he did he didn't really have he didn't have any savings or anything so the only thing he could do was actually create this artwork the artwork that he still mm -hmm. does on ruby lift and then screen print and so he would screen print pareos and gift that to my mom mm. wow and then people you know in the halal some of the aunties in the halal they were like wow nalani where you got that pareo from yeah. and then <laughs> she'd be like oh that guy over there the pocket over there <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's basically the start of Sixteen Design. So that's so cute. A little <laughs> custom padeo. Yeah, yeah. Unique. Aww. One of one of one. <laughs> one, of, one, of one. Oh, I hope she still kept that. That's so sweet. Actually, that's a good point. I should ask my mom if yeah, she has any of those. The original ones. Sixteen yeah. Designs. OG Sixteen. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's so cute. I wondered about that. Like, I wondered if like your mom or your family like influenced the design, like your dad's designs? Yeah, no, 100%. Sigzine Designs is a, and I said this before, but Sigzine Designs, I feel, is an intellectual subsidiary of Edith Kanakawale mm -hmm. because of what she stood for, because of her massive amount of influence, as well as because of her solid foundation that she had. Mm -hmm. She influenced a whole nother generation at that time during the Renaissance she influenced a whole other generation to be able to take on that kuleana and mm -hmm. pass it forward. Mm -hmm. And I think that my dad took on this kuleana of being able to do retail in a typical pocket fashion, to do retail, but at the same time, how do we use this retail product of an Aloha shirt to be able to share these cultural narratives that are embedded in ancestral texts that go back for generations that was all passed down through hula. Mm -hmm. And so I think that with my dad, he was looking at this as an initiative that he could that he could share and express his creative side, but at the same time as a vehicle to be able to share all of this knowledge that he learned from my grandma. Mm, that's so awesome. Yeah. Did he have a lot of time with her, your dad? He, I mean, I think at the time, maybe about five or six years, yeah. so not a, not a whole lot of time. And then my grandma passed away just just before I was born, too. Yeah. And, uh, she was passed away in 1979. I was born in 1982. And I think yeah. that now, especially a little bit older, of course, but I think the value of um, going back to some of her recordings and mm -hmm. just being able to hear her voice... Mm -hmm. I mean, as much as sometimes, I mean, oh, nothing against this, but sometimes I don't want to do interviews, you know? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I think if there's something important that you'd be able to pass on to the next generation mm -hmm. is that idea that you get to share your psyche, you get to share your thoughts, your concepts, and then also hopefully your future generations will be able to hear it too. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. that's so amazing that they had captured. Thank God they captured her in yeah. in her own way, like the way that she said things and like her own voice and her own expressions. You know, it's like that's I don't know. That's so important. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm sure she was like in the newspaper and all that stuff too. But like just the fact that you can watch her and like or hear her voice, mm-hmm. that's so cool. Yeah. No, it's yeah. um, it was. I mean, for me, I maybe it's something that I just held on the inside, but I always was like pretty bummed that she passed away before I was yeah, born. Yeah, mm-hmm. like right before, yeah. or you just missed her by like a few years. Yeah. But I never knew that. Yep. Like, yeah. Like you know, at the time she just, she just passed, but my cuckoo, um, uh, Luca Kanakoole, which was her husband, of course, but he was he lived with me when I was all I mean all the way till he passed in 1989, and so he, his demeanor his character and how he held himself definitely held a huge impression on me too. Mm. And so I think that a little bit of her was passed on through, through him as well as the generations that came before him because the Kanakaoles, they go pretty deep in Mm -hmm. um, Kau. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 That's so cool that like, I mean, did you know growing up, I know we're going back to like going back to the beginning, but did you know growing up, I guess now that you like bring up Kau, so I'm from Kau, but I never really realized growing up like what uh, wait, gift where that from, was. Wait, how, okay, explain this to me. <laughs> I grew up in Pahala, like, and what? I grew. I graduated from Kau High School, and I just that's where I'm from. I was like sheltered, small town mentality. I didn't know how special the place was. <laughs> My jaw's just, not dropped. My jaw's not dropped. <laughs> not a lot of people even know where Kau is. No, it's yeah. the reaction I get from everybody. I swear. No, but um, wow. I just you like, get a cheers for that. Oh yes, and my that's Bahala. like my dad, my dad and my mom graduated from Kuu High School. My grandpa f- is from there, um, but I just I don't know. I just like growing up, I was like, oh man, I'm from this like small town, as if it was like kind of shitty. Like, yeah. oh, I want to be from Hilo or yeah, something. You yeah, know, yeah. like I didn't realize like how special that was until way into like my adult life. Yeah. And then I hear all these stories of people from like about my place and like about Kuu and like how, how important that place is and like how lucky I was to be able to grow up there. And so I just like, man, I wish I knew back then. Like, I had no idea that that place was so special growing up. They never taught us that in school or anything like that. Um, but I guess, like, growing up in your family, did you realize when you were growing up, like, what a privilege that that really was? Nope, nope not at all. That's, <laughs> yeah. why I, that's why I felt so free in, in L.A., you know? Mm-hmm. And I think at the time, media, like, media and, you know, larger networks or whatever at the time, there's a heavy amount of machoism. There's a heavy mm-hmm. amount of Americana mm-hmm. that was happening at the mm-hmm. time. And I think now with specialized media, especially with social media, mm-hmm. you're allowed to indulge yourself into your own indigenous identity, no matter where you come from. That's true. And so mm-hmm. I think that you're now we're at we're more at the mercy of algorithms, of course. But at the same time, I think that with this. Um, opportunity to so much media out there you can Mm -hmm. connect more to things that might be more closer to your core or to your soul Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and so I think that especially with Pahala too I think that um you know Kaikena Kaikena has that song um Ali but um Ali'i Kumakani. So Ali'i is that little flower that you see, mm-hmm. you know, on the, yeah. on the saddle road. But Ali'i Kumakani was all said because of the people of Kau, because you can't uproot an Ali'i and it's there to be able to stand the test of any wind that blows by. And I think when you have those kind of like 
I mean, yes, these are just all alone oils, but mm-hmm. at the same time, if you're if you're in your life and you're over thirty, I'm just playing. Um, <laughs> I'm not listening. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but you know, if you're like going through whatever challenging moment, there's these little core lines like aali ikumakani is that the idea of being able to stand and withstand any challenge that mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. you're confronted with and i think to be able to have those gems knowing that you're from someplace like that to me those are like those are the foundational values that mm-hmm. is embedded in hawaii because we still have this we still have this um this culture available to us mm-hmm. or these these narratives available to us but mm-hmm. yeah that's what um that's what sigzane is all about yeah that's amazing no, totally it's it's cool to see like you guys are like an og you guys have been been around for a long time you've been doing this for a long time but it's cool to see like other companies like new york companies start and and have that as their core like start with that like some of them are they're doing it so good i was i'll be like scrolling on instagram I'm like yeah. oh damn that was good yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um so like what, what 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 was the driving force into like you know starting this whole um, project to release release this u.s quarter you know, uh, uh, I want to, okay, so Aloha, I was working with her for mm-hmm. some of the projects at the, well, it's called HOMA now, but Honolulu Museum of Art. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working with one of the projects for with her on that, and I got an email from her, I believe, or something that was just kind of like putting me on notice that my grandma's name was submitted for a quarter for the U.S. Oh, wow. And I wasn't sure if it was going to get selected or not. And I think at the time I was like, what? Maybe it's spam. Delete. <laughs> 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 you got lost in your inbox. <laughs> it just seemed like such a like like unfathomable yeah. like, type of concept uh-huh. that my grandma's gonna be on a quarter. So I think that um, from that point all the way through to somebody from the U.S. Mint actually emailed our foundation, our Knakole Foundation, and let us know that she is in the running for it, and then got, finally gave us a confirmation. Like that whole time it was like surreal to the point where like. Oh, is it? Is, is it, it for is real? Is it really spam? It's spam. Yeah. <laughs> is this real? Is this email yeah, real? Like right now. I think they're fishing for information. <laughs> anyway. Don't give them your credit card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's so weird. But yeah, no, as soon as it was confirmed, then obviously we were all like floored by this honor. Mm-hmm. And now to be able to see the quarter in hand. Yeah. I, I still haven't ran into it in circulation. Mm-hmm. So, like, I started to pay for stuff with cash because, you know, nobody you pays for stuff yeah, with yeah. cash anymore. Yeah. Just to get but I started to pay for stuff with cash just to see when I get it. I haven't gotten one into circulation. But. Hilo. Hilo. <laughs> Hilo. You got both experiences yeah. now. Yeah. Um, I, so, I did go to Kelka General Store um, down in Kelka. And I paid for a laula over there. It's one of the best laulas. But I paid for a lao lao for there, all in quarters. The guy <laughs> behind me was tripping out because there's a long line. And yeah, I was yeah. like, one, one. <laughs> He's like, two, <laughs> like, really cool. three, <laughs> four. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I paid all in Edith quarters just so that I could, you know, like jumpstart jump the circulation a little bit. Can you just go to the bank and ask for it? Like, hey, can I get like... Now, I believe... I definitely am talking to ASB. And so mm-hmm. American Savings Bank will definitely... Um, just one of my friends works there. But I know that they said that they have... They have but I'm pretty sure no matter if it's CPV or whatever bank is out there, they'll mm-hmm. all have this in within their circulation. It just depends on when the quarters are going to be delivered to each of the banks. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see, yeah. I see. Like, so even just like that experience, like you paying for it, like how was like... Did you like see his reaction or did he even notice like... <laughs> Like how, how, how the you guy on the other side of the counter was just looking at me like, oh my God, oh. bruh, hurry up. 
<laughs> and I was like, I was, I was just so in the moment. I was like, here you go. <laughs> All of these quarters. Just have it. These are special. It's not like you're buying a spam to be. You're yeah, buying yeah. a freaking luau. La, 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 yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, it took a couple. Six. <laughs> seven. Sorry, still going, still going. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I wonder if it's like, can you, I wonder if people can get it on the mainland. You, do you know if... I know one of my cousins was just in Arizona, and he got one in circulation. In like circulation? He, he paid for cash. Just in the wild? Yeah, in the oh, wild. Oh, that's so crazy. That's yeah. so cool. My goal is to make this 25 cents worth more than 25 cents. Yeah. I think that's the... Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. If you can, you know, if you only have 50 cents, but you have to pay for something on a dollar, like, just go at 50 uh, cents, be yeah. like, I got two Edith quarters. <laughs> 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 Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. The f- I know you have like so much going on. I'm, I'm sure we can talk about, I mean, fatherhood. Yeah, I guess if you, Sig Saint, like the, all the fatherhood, new collabs. I mean, so- massive incompetency. That's, that's <laughs> like my description for fatherhood for me right now. You kind of like talked about it earlier. You're like, your dad was in that oh shit moment, like when you were three. So it's like, okay, you have a mm-hmm. newborn now. Yeah. Like what, 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 what's next? I mean, like, what, what are you kind of like getting involved in with and what are you working on i think that's good because i think with my dad like he maybe had that oh shit moment and for me like watching my dad too Mm -hmm. i didn't want to have that moment yep so i definitely wanted to try and plan out and Mm -hmm. at least have some sort at least have a foundation for myself Mm -hmm. before now i realize my oh shit moment is okay I have all of these projects yeah, too much and stuff all these things. And I'm like, oh, shit, I got to change on diaper. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm learning. And I, I will say that I'm thankful for um, I, I went through the Omidyar cohort through the fellowship. Um, each of the people in our Omidyar in cohort seven, um, the lucky sevens, we called it. But each of them also have kids of their own. And oh, they were good. they were extremely helpful in just giving their own perspectives for them respectively as CEOs themselves yeah. mm-hmm. uh, of how they kind of like, doesn't really matter about the execution part, but just how they mentally process through all of this because it can get heavy at times. Yeah. And I definitely think with some of the insights that they shared and the hindsights in retrospect that they shared definitely helped out a lot. What, what was one that kind of just like stood out to you or like very memorable? Um, one of them, well, one guy told me, and he's a pretty busy guy too, but he basically said, he's like, I went to work, uh, well, after the, you know, after the initial, like maybe two weeks, Mm -hmm. he went back to work and he said he went to work and did a long day at the office. It was something like a 10, 10 hour, 12 hour day at the office. And when he left and by the time he came back, he said, he looked at his son and his son looked like a different person. Mm. And I was like, oh, oh, I, I never, I never thought about it. He's like they change that quickly and mm-hmm. that really resonated with me so i actually ended up taking three months off good yeah. for you as much as okay as much as i kn- i didn't understand that and this is a shout out to all the women out there as much as i didn't understand the idea of paternity and maternity leave mm-hmm. i definitely think in going through this especially with my better half shay of course I definitely think we're so far behind in our maternity and paternity programs. Compared to the rest this, of the world. Compared to yeah. the rest of the world. No matter totally. if it's New Zealand or Canada, mm-hmm. they have definitely a lot more intricate, detailed ones that last for 18 months, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think we have some catching up to do. And, and not only in the way of, like, spend the time with your kid type of thing. Mm-hmm. In the way of you're investing that initial three-month period or that six-month period 
in creating the better product of mm-hmm. a kid because you're investing that time with him mm-hmm. or with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, to me, I think that that's something that we're, we're changing our policies here. Oh, um, good oh, for nice. Yeah. And so I, and you know, I will say, I'll be the first to admit that I never understood it, of course, in hindsight, but in hindsight, now that I went through the experience, I'm like, oh shit, we got to change all of that. Mm. And so I think that that's something that, um, that going through the experience definitely has helped me change. Yeah, I mean, we just didn't know any better because yeah. it wasn't available. It wasn't even an option for, yeah. like, our parents. And, like, you just kind of repeat, keep repeating the cycle until somebody's like, wait a minute, this, <laughs> this is broken. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> you totally, know? totally. And you're both work. I mean, it's it's hard. Yeah. But we talk to people, even on the podcast, like we had Malia Kaihui yeah. on here. She's, I don't know how she does yeah, it. Yeah. She has like a hundred children. <laughs> <laughs> and they all do their own thing. I'm, I'm and, they're all, and they're all entrepreneurs yeah. in their own oh, right yeah. too. Yeah. Oh, I know. Um, she's like, 10 kids, 10 businesses. I'm like, what the? <laughs> she's amazing. But then like, I learned so much from her too. Like even like she had posted something recently. She was like, it's okay to not be perfect. Like, just let it be messy. Yeah. Like, I think as a parent, like, especially a new parent, you want your kid to be just, like, so, like, wearing the cutest things and, like, have the cutest gear and, like, just be perfect and sleep trained and, you know, yeah. all this, like, stuff all lined up perfectly. But then if you release that control and just be like, sorry, she's here and we're going to have the baby at the podcast. Like, yep. we're, yeah. you're just going to no, be totally. here. You know, it's like that's how life is and then you just take that pressure off of you so I'm, like, I'm still learning and my kids are older already they're like eight and ten but i'm still mm-hmm. still learning about how to be a intentional mother and working mom yeah and and especially to like to understand that you don't have to let that guilt weigh you down either mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know and that's something that I'm still kind of learning too, because especially with my with with my parents as well as with um, you know generations from before, they were high achieving people, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and, and yeah. they they had high standards and expectations. Yeah. And at the same time, I think mental health is definitely something to be able to and take seriously, mm-hmm. and to understand that guilt is a heavy part of that mental health. And mm-hmm. so, I think whatever your your own personal protocol or your own personal practices, no matter if it's meditation or if you mm-hmm. go surfing in the morning, whatever those is, make sure that as you're trying to like confront some of these challenges in life to be able to have your own protocol that you do so that you can be mentally ready for that oh, too. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah Amazing, that's yeah. so good. What are some of the things that you do that keep you in that good zone? Um, I do meditate. Uh, I, was, I wasn't I was always aware of meditation. My dad um, is definitely, he's, he's highly influenced by, by Eastern culture, too. Oh, uh, that's so cool. So, like, feng shui, yeah. meditation, whatever nice. it would be. Um, and then also we spent a lot of time with, um, with Shinto priests in mm-hmm. Japan. And because Shinto religion is very close to Hawaiian in a lot of their thought processes and oh, beliefs, really? too. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And so we, we went all the way to the Issei Shrine, which is kind of like their mecca um, uh-huh. of Shinto and I really got influenced by how deep Japanese culture is as well as my own Chinese culture and then at the same time how meditation is you know it could be new age to a certain degree mm-hmm. but it's a practice that has happened for you know oh, jet, yeah. like oh, yeah. so long mm-hmm. and so I got in I finally got into meditation as a regular practice and maybe for the past uh well, four years now. Oh, that's awesome. Nice. So, it's like a routine you do like in the morning or? Uh, pretty much 20 minutes uh, every morning. Um, now, currently, it's 20 minutes if <laughs> Naholava goes to sleep. <laughs> so he'll wake up at 530 
and then he'll do his thing he'll eat a little bit and then if he he usually gets tired enough to go back to sleep around 8 30. Mm-hmm. he goes back to sleep by 8 30 then i can get my full you know morning protocol in mm-hmm. um, meditate sometimes i'll do guided meditation sometimes i'll do quiet meditation kind of depends at the time nice. that's so good mm-hmm. it, we, we talk about this a lot too i didn't i can't i don't know i gotta really get, be disciplined with it because then it's not for everybody, but I think that's yeah. why you design your own protocol. But just yeah. as long as you have the consistency to it, then it's all good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What's, like, the biggest benefit you get from it? Just, like, clear mind? I think I think for me, like, I wouldn't even say it's a weakness of mine, too. I think that I've been so conditioned by my family to act a certain way. Mm. And sometimes it's for either you know public image or if it's to you know to do what my parents are saying or to do what my aunties expect whatever whatever it is but i think now with meditation it just allows you a little more space around your mind to give you that opportunity to make a new decision Mm-hmm. So rather than just reacting to things at the moment, mm-hmm. um, meditation just gives me that little space or that little gap in my mind that I'm allowed to say, like, okay, wait, I don't have to react in that way to this situation. I can react in a new way and change things. And so I can ask myself at that moment, no matter if it's a split second or whatever it is, I can ask myself at that moment, how would I like to respond to this mm-hmm. for a better situation? Being mindful yeah. versus yeah. reactive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, oh, that's so that, good. It's probably okay. the biggest thing that it gives me. Yeah. That's so good because that's another thing that's that's just yours. Like how you're saying, like you're so influenced by your family, mm-hmm. and now even like now you have a like new baby and like catering to his needs. But then at least you carve out this time that's just yours, and yep. that's just just for you, like not based on what somebody else needs yeah. or expects of you. And this is only something in the past four years. Mm-hmm. But that's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean. Y- yeah, it's a long time. Well, COVID is a blur, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. COVID is like at least two-year blur, three-year yeah, blur yeah. or something like that. So, um, but yeah, it's something that it just was implemented. But, you know, in the saying that like for everybody under 30, you know, there's so many changes that you yeah. can make over the yeah. years that yeah. like, I think that, you know, you're never too old to be able to learn something new or to do, to be able to implement something new. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I know like... You already gave us so much of your time, but I wanted to ask like one more question was that like now, like where you are in life now, like where do you think, and you kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but like where is your, like your driving force right now? Like as far as your Kuliana, that, that's not just like from your parents and like from your grandma, but like where do you think Kuhao's like Kuliana stands right now? And like, what you want to do in the next 10 years? It's a deep question to end it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking to myself as you're like asking me this deep question, I was like, <laughs> this is the longest a beer has ever lasted. <laughs> it's been Especially about an hour it's so on good. the same beer. <laughs> no, it's super good. Olive Brew, maybe um, you'll be a sponsor. <laughs> please not, <laughs> Um no, I think that's a great question. And I'd love to give you a cliche answer. Like, everything is for my son. <laughs> um, okay. So this ties back to the earlier question about, like, the four generations in the mm-hmm. future. I think the number one thing that I see is that there is a lot of knowledge that is built 
into indigenous practices in general around the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's showing itself currently right now and it can help solve a lot of the current modern problems that we have. And I think that my goal is to be able to use our platform of design, marketing, storytelling, narrative, to be able to use our platform to have people accept these indigenous solutions and implement them within their companies. And it's not just for Hawaiians. Mm -hmm. To me, in Hawaii, you have a kuleana or you have a responsibility to Hawaii if your two feet are on this island Mm -hmm. for no matter how long it is. Mm -hmm. If it's, you know, your two-week vacation or if it's your one-month stay on the Kona side (laughs) in a private jet or if you've been here because your parents came here um, to work the plantation Mm -hmm. or if you just moved here recently during COVID. It Mm -hmm. doesn't doesn't really matter. If your two feet are on here, you have a responsibility to this island. And I think that one of the important things is... How, how do you live in synchronicity with the island? Mm-hmm. And one of the best things that I uh, was taught or that was shared with me was that to be able to live in synchronicity with the island, you have to look at the people that have been living in synchronicity with the island for generations. And one of the things that was taught, of course, was that the chants that we have, yes, they talk about Pele and they talk about Hiyaka, but they're not talking about actual gods and goddesses. When you really look at the translation of this or when you really look at the um, breakdown of these chants, it's environmental data mm-hmm. that is embedded mm-hmm. in these chants for generations. Mm-hmm. And so if you wanted to live in synchronicity with the island, a lot of the answers are in these chants. Mm-hmm. And how, how, do we share, how do we share this data or how do we share this information through podcasts? Or mm-hmm. how do we share this information through Aloha shirts or design projects, identities, or whatever the projects may be. And then I think the next step after that for the next generation, maybe you can hear that on Hilo. Um, <laughs> I think for the next generation is how do you create companies and entities that will help translate this indigenous knowledge into modern solutions? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the next step. And then, of course, just making sure that I dress my son up cute when I bring him into the office. <laughs> if you dress him up well, they cute. Have, they have some cute things downstairs that you can uh, put him in. He has a, he has a custom, couple customs, you know, <laughs> and a few here and there. Yeah. What are, like, some easy things that people can do? Though? I mean, I like that. It's like there's an educational component, I think, missing for, you know, you say people who, like, just moved here. I think people want to be respectful to the pla- their place that they live in and like people who are from here for like a couple of generations they want to be in synchronicity with the land but like what are just like maybe like an easy thing that somebody could do um okay so i'm just pulling it up right here uh you can look this on the camera and maybe you can focus it later but vehe vehe viki viki Mm-hmm. The easiest way, mm-hmm. the easiest way, because even this one, this is something that we have all of our employees uh, make sure that they have on their on their phone or mm-hmm. on their homepage. But I think one of the best parts within here is you can just type in any word mm-hmm. and it's most important not only to see the immediate translation of the word, but the multiple translations mm-hmm. of one Hawaiian word. Mm-hmm. And I think that with that, you start to pick up on the different 
almost network of definitions that mm -hmm. are built into the language. And I think that's super easy, no matter if you're translating the term aloha mm -hmm. or mahalo or whatever the term is, or if you're translating a term like kinolao or something. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that if you just download that, that's mm -hmm. the easiest step to see the intellect that's within the language mm -hmm. that is, of course, embedded in place. We'll put that up. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Nice. I feel like we, I feel like I could talk to you forever. There's so many things I want to no. ask you, but I, yeah. I want to be respectful of your time. But thank you so much. No, thank you. No, this thank you for conversation. bringing us into your space and letting yep. us set up and just yep. talk story. Yeah, we're excited for all the things coming up. Like, it seems like there's just a lot. <laughs> there's so, a lot of projects ahead. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. but yeah. all good stuff. Definitely, and definitely. And thank you for, I'm honored with the opportunity to be able to share a little bit, talk story, and of course laugh, and then <laughs> get your little Hilo character. <laughs> too. And drink yeah, a little. Yeah, this was really yeah. fun. Oh, yeah. And the Olas. Cheers. 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 Finally so, finishing the hour-long beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> com. Sigzine.com, or if you want to go on Instagram at Sigzine Designs and at Kuhao. At Kuhao. Yep. Nice. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Mahalo. Uh,